And this was back in the day of Tiffany lamps, Victorian furniture, a lot of leaded glass, yeah. round oak tables with the cloth feet. Very Victorian, very kind of heavy and dark mahoganies and, and walnuts and that kind of thing. And I remember like, within a few days of, of an opening, I was sitting on one of the settees and I'm looking around at all these Tiffany lamps because every three feet there's a Tiffany lamp in this place. And I thought to myself, I am set. This will never go out of stock. This is the ultimate look. There's no way this How could can anything be beat. get better? This will never be beat. Yeah. People will come here for the rest of my life, and I'll just collect money. Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. I'll be your host serving up some of the most succulent stories from our region about people, places, and things that impact our community and your financial well-being. I'm sure there will even be a few tasty surprises here and there when the recipe is right. Our goal is to have you learn, think, even laugh a little bit, all calorie-free. I know you'll enjoy what we're delivering right to your kitchen table or dining room or, sir, will you be eating in your car? Wherever you choose to listen. Tonight, a very special guest on Buy Sci-Fi, a man who has influenced the dining and social habits of Sacramento more than anyone else, I would say, <laughs> the last 60 years, believe it or not. And he's doing it again, even in a pandemic. That is the show tonight with Randy Paragary. Randy, great to see you. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks, Kelly. 1969. I just can't believe that you were influential in the 60s, 70s, 80s. 92,000, moving sure. into 2020 now. I mean, how many decades is that where you've been kind of influencing the answering of the question, what are we going to do tonight, honey, in Sacramento? Well, I tell you, 1969 was a great time to get started in this business. Why was that? It was, it was, it was a revolutionary time in society. You know, I, was, I graduated from high school in 1964, so five years later, the place I opened is called the Parapal Palace Saloon. It's one of those kind of things where you talk to your buddies when you're around 23 years old, which I was. Wouldn't it be great to open a bar? We, you know, we, sh we should have some. There's no place for us to go. Right. Well, that was never truer than in those days because that was, that was the summer of love in San Francisco, the, the, that whole new genre of music that came, was coming out and an unbelievable number of bands and original music. We were kind of going from the Four Seasons and the Beach Boys to you know, the Grateful Dead and, and Jefferson Air, Airplane, the Doors was more psychedelic music. So, and the Vietnam War was going, there was that kind of philosophy of, of kids that were in college of anti-war. And it was, it, it was that point in history where also there was an opportunity in the restaurant bar business. I was really just in the bar business. It was a beer bar to create something that was for that group of demographic that was my age. Yeah. And it, the, the Parapal was all about music. We had music seven nights a week. It was local bands that were doing original music and, and some were doing cover. We had blues bands, we had country bands, we had rock bands. But tell me, tell me, Randy, tell me about the decision to actually go into business. I mean, you were still in school. Was it, did you see the location and think this could be it? Well, I mean, what was it that triggered you to say, I'm going to sign the lease 
and I'm sure. going to put money down, and I'm going to open the doors, and I'm going to market it. What was it that triggered that? Yeah, there was a, a search for the location. I, I went to McClatchy, so I actually looked upon looked along Freeport Boulevard. I thought you know, over by Rayleigh's, you know, in that section, that was comfortable to me. But the place that I landed with was landed on for the location was at 30th and O Street, and an old in a grocery store, there was a corner market. You know, in those days, corner markets were going out of business because supermarkets were yeah. taking over. There was a, a and Safeway was just in probably. Well, huh? there was uh, there was a stop and shop where Sutter Hospital is currently mm. between 28th and 29th K and L was a whole block, and and th- that was sort of the supermarket there area, and and many of my places. Our old grocery stores, uh, not only the Parapau, but where the Arbor, which is where Inc. is today, was a grocery store. Centro, my location at 28th and J, was a grocery store. Was it really? It was like these corner, you know, prolific corner markets were being wiped out basically by supermarkets. So had the one at 30th and O gone out of business already? had gone out of business, four lease sign. Mrs. Rotis owned it. She lived upstairs. It was a two-story building. Oh, wow. And... Went in and, and negotiated the, the lease. I think it was two hundred fifty dollars a month, something like that. It was and and opened you know, up Parapal and opened up Parapal Palace. And it's interesting when I say when I talk about full bands. My my original vision and what we started off with was folk music. The idea was you know that we'd get hitchhikers or they're getting on the free on ramps and had a guitar case with them and they'd come over and give them a sandwich and a couple of beers and, and they would, you know, play, a, you know, a set that night. Yeah. So we, we did start off with the local folk singers, just one guy up there, a woman up there with, with a guitar. And then, then it kind of evolved into, well, let's do, you know, a little electric, you know, put, you know, put yeah. an amp up there with two guys playing. Before you know, it, we were doing full bands. And I tell the story that, you could go there. This 1969, our cover charge was 35 cents. <laughs> and I'm telling you, back in those, t- t- okay, so 35 cents. So you have 65 cents left. You walk up to the bar, you order a, a draft beer, which is a quarter, and we sold a whole bag. Of, I used to buy shell, peanuts and shells by the you know, by the 10-pound or 20-pound box. So I bagged those and, and sold those for five cents. A bag of peanuts, and we throw the peanuts on the floor. That was the yeah. whole concept. Yeah. So you just spend another. You spent thirty cents out of your sixty-five cents. You leave a nickel tip, which the bartender was happy to get. I'm starting to sound like I'm from you know eighteen hundred or something <laughs> here, but I swear to God, it was really. That's the price range, and that's what. And Randy, how long, how long after you opened did it take before you had that night where you said? Oh, this is going to work. Opening night. Really? Oh, yeah. It was, in fact, Channel 3 was there. Yeah. It was in December of 1969. And it was it was a huge hit. It was just something different. Yeah. And it was newsworthy right. for some reason. It was this new place at 30th and O Street that, that had a lot of buzz. And, you know, it was very busy. And, you know, we you know, more customers than, than we could accommodate, so people had to wait in line. Was Mrs. Rhoda still upstairs? Yeah, that was that's that was a bit of a yeah. She was upstairs. It was, she was fine with the folk music. But once the bass started, about three months into the into the process, when the 
Sunland Blues Band was one of the bands that played there every week. Did uh, you have you know, any uh, kind of, you know, bigger groups that were either kind of mm. on their way up, stop at Parapau and, and you know, play, or were they know, mostly it, local bands? It was, it was, it was only local bands. We weren't large enough to have, to have you know, the, the large bands play there. So, but there were certain musicians that played in bands that went on to, to you know, um, Timothy B. Schmidt, for instance, He's in, in local bands here in Sacramento. Goes on to you know be in the Eagles. So there's, yeah, he did okay. Yeah, yeah he did okay. So that's probably the you know the yeah the biggest star that came out of there. So Beaverbrook, the Arbor, were the kind of the next iterations of your vision, right? Yeah, the order of things. Next was the Arbor. Yeah, that was 1974. That was five years later. later. I owned Parapower for about three years, sold it, and, and a couple of years later is when. The Arbor opened in, in 1974. That's uh, 28th and N Street. Mm-hmm. Big success again. And there was a bar across the street called the Fort Sutter Club. And our customers would, when we'd have a wait, we would send them across the street to have a drink in the Fort Sutter Club. And this was before cell phones or anything. So we'd literally run across the street. Brothers, party of two, your table's <laughs> ready. And so it... it so was the Arbor, I never went to the Arbor. Was it, it was pre-me? Was it, was it, was it a bar, bar restaurant? Was it? It was restaurant only. It had a, okay. it had a beer and wine license. It did not have a bar. Okay. It's, it's, it's only 30, you know, no, 2,400 square feet, small yeah. place. Yeah. So the overflow went, went across the street. And fortunately the guy that owned that bar was, uh, was, was, well, he was happy, but he was also an airline pilot. He was absentee, lived oh. in Dixon. And so when we approached him to uh, buy the uh, business and the real estate, he was for it and sold it. So to, by the way, both of those transactions for the Arbor in 1974 and Lord Beaverick's in 1975 were owner-carried financing. Oh. The seller carried the financing. Yeah. Remember those days? Yeah, were, yeah. Like, that doesn't was, happen anymore, you know, does it? I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I've never... But it was actually fairly common back then. Yeah. And that helped get you so, going. So, so and Beaver Brooks yes. opened up and that was a hit immediately, wasn't it? That was, a, that was, that was off super, the hook. Yeah. That was, that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. That was, that was something that was extremely popular. I'm really proud of it. It was, it was unique, very, you know, sophisticated, grown up. It was, it was, it was cool. And so, and you were learning lessons at every stop, I assume here. Were you... At this time, I mean, you have your law degree from McGeorge. I mean, were you sure. were you working other jobs or were you a full time nightclub restaurant owner at this point? Well, the way the, the order was that I opened the Arbor when I was in my third year of McGeorge and Lord Beaverbrook's in the fourth. So I was going, I was in business as I was going to school. Okay. So I was learning to be a businessman, learning to be a restaurateur, bar owner as I was going to McGeorge. And I, I graduated in 76. So you know, I had been you know, yeah. a couple of years back. It's funny, one of the things when talking about, you know, being set and that kind of, when did I feel like I really had, you know, made it at the Parapella at Lord Beaverbrook's, the decor of the place, there was a place in, in San Francisco called Henry Africa's that we copied or were influenced by. And this was back in the day of, um, Tiffany lamps, Victorian furniture, a lot of leaded glass, 
a lot of etched glass, yeah. round oak tables with the claw feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, the uh, oak press back chairs and very Victorian, very kind of heavy and dark mahoganies and, and walnuts and that kind of thing. And I remember like, within a few days of, of an opening, I was sitting on one of the settees and I'm looking around at all these Tiffany lamps because every three feet there's a Tiffany lamp in this place. And I thought to myself, I am set. This will never go out of style. This is the ultimate look. There's no way this can be How could anything be get better? It, this will never be beat. Yeah. People will come here for the rest of my life, and I'll just collect money. You know? It's, and, and this was a bar only, too, by the way. There was nothing. We did not serve food there, so there was oh. no reputation based upon, you know, yeah. The cuisine and the right. quality and the, the the dining experience. It's just, you know, gin and tonics and Budweiser and glasses of Chardonnay, just like everybody else has, right? It wasn't yeah. really that special. So within years, I mean, you know, that people started, you know, decors changed and people wanted white, you know, they wanted Formica and white wispy curtains and, yeah. and, you know, paper lamps or whatever. So that I hope just, you kept one of the Tiffany lamps I just have to have you. I still okay, have some good. of those. I, I do. When did Perigary's come along? Well, Perigary's came uh, when Beaver Brooks finally just totally ran out of gas. Okay. When I knew that, hey, this this has to change. And fortunately, and what year was that? That was eighty three. Eighty three. Okay. So, so it wasn't. I mean, it, so the run from seventy five to eighty three. I mean, it's only eight years, right? Of, of having being the mo, most of those years way at the top, like really one of the most popular bars, if not the most popular in town. But Paragary's has run for thirty seven years and is still is going. That what it is. Yeah, eighty three <laughs> to 20, 20. Is that what? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that's yeah. Well, that's. Leads me to what I said a few minutes ago. Perigary's is based upon food. Perigary's is a dining experience. Perigary's is, you know, um, there's a reason to go back right. Right. To, the, to that restaurant because of its quality right. and the service. And we've, you know, we've paid attention to it. It's had, had a super remodel a few years ago that made it really beautiful and, and you know, top of the line as, as good as anything in town, especially with our the patio, uh, even, beautiful, even, even yeah. this time of year. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that was in 83 and my, my influence and the timing was good because that is basically when Alice Waters and Wolfgang Puck and Larry Mandel from El Fernayo were creating wood fired pizza oven concepts and menus. No such thing as a wood fired pizza oven until about 19, 19- 81. Yeah. I mean, Alice yeah. even, I mean, Chez Panisse just barely preceded us. There was a place called Prego in San Francisco that Larry Mandel owned that, that had really preceded all of us. But then Wolfgang Puck made it super famous in LA with uh, Spago. Right. So Sacramento didn't have that. We didn't have wood fired gourmet pizza, you know. So, so I took my chance and, you know, and studied that and, and, Got the recipes and learned how learned how to make really really good dough, which is the most important part of it. And then to have a, a wood fired pizza oven constructed. Yeah, Back in those days, it's basically was like building a fireplace where the hearth is at you know chest level rather than on the floor. Yeah, that's what a, those pizza oven 
in, in, including Chez Panisse and Spago. Now, they there's Italian companies that make domes that are pizza ovens, and you put that on a on a pedestal, and you can build any kind of facade around it that you want. Right. Um, and they're much more efficient. But yours was the good. first one in town, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's the second old, well, third oldest pizza oven in west of the Mississippi or whatever. Oh, because, well, number one, the oldest is a place called uh, Tommaso's in San Francisco. It's been there for a long time. Chez Panisse is older than me by a couple of years, and I'm the third oldest. Now I mentioned Spago and Prego earlier. They, those preceded Paraguay's, but they're. Prego's gone, and, yeah. and Spago moved from Hollywood to right. Beverly Hills, so it's not in the same location. So yeah, we have the you know but, you know in Sacramento, the definitely the oldest pizza wood fired pizza oven in in town. Who knew? So you know, I we could talk all night about your restaurants, the stories. There's so many of them, Randy, and you've been so influential and and and. What I love about restaurant tours, like like you and some of your partners, Kurt and sure. among others, but your ability mm-hmm. to see new trends and adapt quickly, and not, you know, you, you if Tiffany lamps are out, they're out. Right. You know, time to move sure. on. Uh, but for you at this stage of your career to take on a whole new venture, which is this hotel in Midtown, Fort Sutter, right, and and to build it from the ground up, where you already had a Cafe Bernardo, but to, to, to completely go beyond everything you've done before and take it on and then have it open in a pandemic yeah, or what, try to open what, in a pandemic. Timing, huh? Great what timing. time? But uh, tell me about the decision. Let's talk about the hotel because sure. this is the next iteration of the Paragary dynasty. And truly, I think, I mean, your name is going to be known around here far longer than any of ours. It just is. You, you've just have changed the way Sacramento lifestyle is perceived and, and done it over and over again, going back multiple, multiple decades. So what, what was the vision behind the hotel? Well, I think it is, it is hard to do. I'll tell you that. I mean, I think any of us that are in the restaurant business, in the hospitality business, in, um, in the creative part of it, to, to extend the extension from going from a restaurant to actually having a restaurant and there's people that can spend the night at your restaurant is yeah. pretty special. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the worst part for me is always... You never been, have to play the song Closing right. Time. At, yeah, uh, what I've always hated in the restaurant business, you know, it's like the party and the energy and the laughter and the... The friendship, and, and and as the night goes on, at eight o'clock it's peaking out, and nine o'clock it's fun, and then it just gets sad around ten or eleven. People start leaving, <laughs> and the, you know there's only the tables. Oh, there's an empty table. Got to hate that when there's an empty table, you know. Yeah. And be, but now, I I know that you know people can go upstairs and and spend the night. That's right. So it's the extension. It's almost like. 24-hour, 365. It's Randy's it's slumber all, party. Always, That's what it is. It, is. Always, it's, it never stops. Because <laughs> then they come back in the morning for breakfast. And so it's it's fun. I tell you, I mean, the restaurant business is fun. And, and to actually have... Extend have the brand. Because yeah. it's interesting. Is that when I've been... I'm, I'm a Hilton product. We're part of the... tap. It's called the Tapestry Collection by Hilton. And when I go to these Hilton meetings and these orientations with other hotel the restaurant is always sort of an afterthought. They hate it. It's a pain in the ass. It's like, 
they just hope to break even. Oh my God, this restaurant that we have to, you know, and so there are these restaurant guys with, with, excuse me, these hotel people with a restaurant restaurant attached to it. Totally the opposite. I'm a restaurant guy with a hotel attached. Who doesn't want to do the restaurant. His customers to leave. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's a different, different concept. So it's, it, it's cool. I, I mentioned, I think, you know, the bragging rights, all my peers, right? All my friends are in the restaurant business and they're you know, doing great. And we were competitive and, you know, we we're very proud of our quality and our, what we present to our customers. And so to be, to have this, you know, the hotel that you described in Midtown, that's really, really special and, and, and exciting is. Uh, I mean, it's is, the first is, real is, hotel in Midtown, isn't it? It's definitely the first real hotel in Midtown. I mean, yeah. if you could, if you define Midtown from, I don't know, what Sixteenth Street uh, to east, the freeway, you know, yeah. there's there are no others. You know, all yeah. the hotels are concentrated right around the capital. And for those of you, and the sad part about 2020 is that people who would ordinarily get downtown somewhat regularly aren't getting downtown somewhat regularly sure, for any number true. of reasons. And hopefully that's going to turn around here pretty right. quick. But if, it, and I went by and Randy was kind enough to give me a quick tour of it on just a few days ago, but we're talking about a hotel just down from Sutter, very close to multiple restaurants Randy has, including <laughs> Perigary's, including Centro, with a Cafe Bernardo that was already on that location. Now will be right. kind of the restaurant for the hotel, but adjacent to the B Street Theater. So who is your, is your market? I mean, I'm thinking... Obviously, family and friends visiting people at Sutter, which they've never had before. I'm thinking people coming down to Midtown for a second Saturday or a show at sure. uh, B Street. I guess it's all the above, huh? Well, it is as far as, you know, they're, they're, you know I hope to, to attract local customers as well as travelers. You know, there's a, a leisure travel, uh, which would be friends and family of the neighborhood. Right. You know, p- people who come to visit visit people that live in the neighborhood and they're don't rather than stay in their home, they, they stay in the hotel. Maybe there's weddings and at McKinley park or in one of the or churches, St. Francis the church That's, right there. Right, yeah. Right, that, you know, so we expect to get some of that, you know, then there's the business traveler, you know, Sutter has a lot of um, pharmaceutical people, not, not in addition to the, to the families of the patients, um, there's also visiting doctors and sure. people that are involved in, in, the, in medicine that w- would stay there. But one of the things we're hyper-focusing on now because of the pandemic and the fact that, that people aren't traveling as much, we are hoping to attract people that live in Sacramento region. And, you know, it could be as far away as, I call it far away Roseville and Granite Bay and those kind of places, but even people in Sacramento that are looking for Maybe it's an anniversary, birthday, you know, and, and you know, get get out of the house and come down to to the Fort Sutter Hotel, spend the night, have dinner in the cafe. We have the bar. Paragus the bar is, is beautiful. Away. It's a oh, real it's a bar. bar. It's a it's, go- a it's an adult bar. bar. It's a grown up bar with beautiful furnishings, a lot of a lot of different spaces. There, there's dining height tables, but there's also sofas and and large armchairs and. And sort of residential style seating with coffee tables and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a large lobby. The hotel lobby is part of the bar. And so it, it's very comfortable. Yeah. And then it leads uh, to the Bernardo, which uh, obviously a Sunday morning brunch right. would, would be sure. fantastic. Would and, be. and, and I, you know, just the way you've built it with the windows that easily slide one way mm-hmm. or the other. I mean, you take your outdoor seating and that doubles basically the size of your restaurant That's pretty true. much. Yeah. The whole, 
exterior in the cafe is all nano walls. That's the brand. Those are the accordion doors that, yeah. sli- that slide back. So, you know, it's indoor outdoor feeling. Whether you're, even when you're sitting indoors, you feel like you're on a patio. So, how does that work, Randy? When you're you're spearheading this effort, you've been working on it for literally for years. Sure. You've got equity investors. You've got debt involved. You've built this beautiful building. And the state is shut down. I mean, if, if there had been no pandemic, what was your opening date? We would have been open in September. In September. Yes, right. So now it's looking, and now as we do this podcast in, let's call it mid-November, right. you're thinking January, is that correct? Yeah, we, we were trying to get open December 4th, and there's been, there's been some delays in the construction and that has slowed us down a little bit from that date too. The contractor's not quite finished of turning the property over to us. So, so now we're thinking January. Yes, okay. know, early January to be able to to open. Now, what does that mean? Right now, we're in the purple tier. And this, you know, this podcast people ten years ago. What's purple tier? What, yeah. what does that mean? Right. <laughs> For you talking, for those of you listening to this in 2030, uh, that was yeah. something that happened. Only outdoor <laughs> dining yeah, only, in yeah. November. Yeah, right. So, yeah, exactly. So, let's hope that we can get some relief from that and be able to get get back indoors again by by January. The the numbers are are there for us. So that you know, and I and, I, and of course I'm troubled by the the restaurant business being singled out for this lockdown where. You know, you can still go on an airplane. You can go sh- to grocery stores. You can go to Target. You can go to oh, any, you go you to know, Costco you know, or Costco, Home Depot. Any, or... Any, but for some reason, restaurants are, are closed down for for customers being being able to go inside. That's this time of year means you can't serve at all, right? Because right. You, know, you know when it's raining and stormy and that you know there's there is nowhere to sit outside, right? So you know it's, it makes it. Very tough, and, and it's it's very irritating and frustrating. Oh, I bet it us. is. I bet it is incredibly frustrating, uh, especially since, I don't know, my opinion was always, man, at restaurants, people are wearing masks. Their sure. distance is like, right. it's like there's a hall monitor there. It's like there's someone with a whistle there. Right. So what do we do? We shut them down, and, and, and naturally people are going to gather in private homes where masks well, come true. off and right. alcohol's consumed and suddenly you're hugging and spreading. Yeah. Right. But that, right. That's never thought of. Whereas in restaurants, it's more, right. you know, people, There's a, it's a controlled environment, exactly. so to speak. Yeah, right. So let's go, let's go talk to the governor tomorrow. <laughs> let's do it. So yeah. l- let me, short term, obviously there's pain. As we speak, there have been multiple vaccines now announced as effective and safe and ready to go although that takes a few months to get ramped up. Uh, your long-term vision for the hotel, has it changed at all because of this? You know, it hasn't. It, it's just a delay. Yeah. I mean, we're the, the vision is still the same. The means and ways to operate are going to remain the same. I know that we've got a great product. People are going to want to be there when they feel safe and when we're allowed to be there. So it's it's just a matter of time. This was not... A business was built for turnaround quickly, like, so, you know, try to build it and sell it or something. This, you know, so this is a, you know, a dream come true to be able to do this. So we're just going to have to be patient. And I'm sure within a year we will be, you know, at full capacity and people will be able to come in there. 
Oh, the, I the was, way that they thought we would. Oh, I'd say within months, yeah. I would yeah. hope. I well, truly would. Yeah. Randy, and I ask everyone this, is when you think back now to the late 60s, 60s when you were getting Parapow opening and sure. just yeah. getting going, <clears throat> you know, what, what advice would you give yourself then, knowing what you know now, about the business that you were about to enter and make a life's work of? I guess the advice would be to not, don't worry about making mistakes know that they're going to occur, that you just have to, you know, make the best of and, and, and deal with it, which I, I guess I've sort of done. So I get, I've been giving advice to some of the What's your favorite mistake? Had. What's your favorite mistake, would you say? The We're, worst mistake I made was opening a, a Paragary's in San Francisco in 1987. I don't know if you remember that, but... It was a big mistake because it took a lot of time and it, it was expensive. It cost me a lot of money. But the, the silver lining is I'm glad I did it at the age I was then. I would hate to have done it now. Like, you know, any business, whether the restaurant business or clothing, to, to be in San Francisco is the big time, right? Yeah. You know, when you're in Sacramento, they go, oh, man, I want to make it in, Sac- in San Francisco. And I didn't. I tried and I didn't. It didn't work at all. Why didn't it work, do you think? It was a crummy location. I opened a pair of gears on Van Ness Avenue, which is like opening on, I don't want to disparage Fulton Avenue. It would be like being on Fulton <laughs> Avenue. It's just like, it's like this major street that was car dealers and, yeah. and, and it's Highway 101. And it's just, it just isn't yeah. charming. Right. Right. It has, has great what do you call them? Car counts. Yeah. There's a lot of cars right. driving by. So that might, you know, so you, the, your signage is good. You can see it, but it is, isn't something, it isn't the type of location that Sac, San Franciscans enjoy going to they like a little more. How long did it take you to realize it was a mistake? It was within six months. It never did work. Oh. I mean, it never had a, a honeymoon of any kind of, oh. of real success. Yeah. Yeah. It was. But those are valuable too. I'm sure. Yeah. Let's end where we began. Let's go. Sure. I, and I, I, I think because I've talked to my own kids about this, and I, I want your your opinion on this. When I think about you opening up Parapow 1969, right? you know, a lot of the upheaval we're going through in 2020 is not dissimilar through the upheaval of the 60s. We don't have a war to worry about, right? but the social upheaval, the racial upheaval, it's not all that different, really. I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar in many ways. Coming out of this with so much carnage in the hospitality industry, and it's sad to say, but there is. Right. There might be, there could be tremendous opportunity for a young person looking to start something coming out of this. Do you agree That's with that? That's true. No, I think there, I think there always is. And, and they... And they have to identify that. I can't say, well, here's what a young guy should do because I don't have that frame of reference. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I don't know the music or the what, how it's supposed to work. I can tell you, I think it's probably harder today because, I mean, we, we literally took plans in on eight, eight and a half by 11 binder paper, you know, and said, hey, here's what we want to do. Here's where the bar is going to be. And here, I mean, it was, it, now it's like reams of pages of electrical engineering and I mean even for little small remodels I mean we took a grocery store and turned it into a bar so there was some plumbing there we identified where the waistline was we there's the hot and cold water we, we had to hook hook it up and get it hooked up but it was 
it was it was a lot easier to do than it is this day and age. I, so it's, I think that's one of the one of the barriers of entry for a twenty three year old to go out and say, okay, I think I want to open a bar. Yeah, you're gonna have to deal with inspections. It's a little, it's a little bit more. A little bit more difficult. And binder yeah. paper won't get you far these days. Yeah, bro. I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was it was pretty pretty easy back in those days. Well, Randy, you've uh, influenced all of our dining tastes, nightclub tastes for for many many years, and now you'll be associated with a hotel as well. Can't thank you enough for for stopping by and for all you've done for Sacramento. You've been truly uh, not just a local influencer but a local treasure i mean yeah. we're so lucky to have you here and and you because you've all you're always bringing new ideas to the table well and thank you too you've always been a great supporter of restaurants and now I'll see you in the in the hotel and Bring your suitcase. I will. No, I absolutely will. Randy Perigary, everyone, joining us tonight on Buy Sci-Fi. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. The program is supported in part by Genevieve Burford & Brothers. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your rating, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pool. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Genevieve Burford & Brothers Wealth and Retirement Plan Management, LLC. Royal Alliance Associates is separately owned and products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates. The discussions and opinions expressed are intended for informational purposes only and do not constitute solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation. Neither Genevieve's Burford & Brothers nor Royal Alliance Associates offer tax or legal services.